reconnect to living with the laws of nature and rewild yourself this week with Steve Aldrich, founder of Wild Movement Perth. Steve tells how, as a personal trainer, it was through his simple challenge of conventional wisdom held within this field that led him to awaken from his autopilot state and continue to ask wider focus questions that led him to discover rewilding for himself and ultimately create Wild Movement Perth. Packed full of insightful nuggets of how Steve lives and thinks, this conversation holds up a mirror to the fundamental disconnect that lies in the heart of our modern day industrial and information driven existence and the impact it has on our health. However, the conversation certainly doesn't leave the listener stuck in this disconnect. It captures the wealth of knowledge and passion and drive that Steve has, leaving the listener with a clear route forward to close the gap and live a healthier lifestyle connected to nature and our surrounding environment. So enjoy, Steve. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Rewilding and bridging the disconnect that sits like a white elephant in our society are just some of the things we're going to get into with my guest, Steve Aldrich. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, sort of cracking wild and windy day here, isn't it? It certainly is, yes. Yeah, so um, you'll have a bit of that in the background. So one of the questions I like to start with all my guests, because um, I find it really important and, and interesting, is understanding their connection to Western Australia. And you were born and raised here. Mm-hmm. So tell me, what was it like growing up for you here in WA? Well, the first part of my life, I, uh, I sort of wasn't really checked in. I was on autopilot. All right. So I like to think it was probably about age 24, 25 that I really kind of checked in and first understood that I could sort of self-reflect on my own thought patterns and sort of uh, choose and design who I was. Hmm. So when I was young, I was just on autopilot. So it's, there's kind of almost like two parts of my life. The first part up until then, where I was just sort of, on autopilot and then when I finally sort of checked in and, and started cry, uh, trying to sort of uh, create myself and, and mm. design my life if that makes sense but so it was a lot uh, of growing up here just on autopilot though. yeah yeah what did so that look I, and feel like? I had a great um, little upbringing it's sort of like looking back now on on who I am uh, it makes perfect sense like everything makes perfect sense so like my parents the way that they brought me up it was we we live in kingsley uh western australia and now i'm in woodvale which is pretty much across the road same same postcode still and we just had a pretty sort of cruisy um uh all our holidays and stuff were always around nature um so just bushwalking and stuff like that um primary school and high school were both walking distance um sports like real wholesome sort of uh upbringing Mm. um paper airplanes playing with kids in the street uh, until the sun went down we lived in a little cul-de-sac so nice and simple um and yeah that's sort of uh how it all began all the way up until when i finished high school but i reckon we'll probably get into that bit soon Mm. so what was it also like growing up as a male in western australia let's say in that earlier male far out uh, well, I don't like. I don't really have much to say on that <clears throat> from when I was young. Uh, I literally all I did was just uh, play with friends, 
um, surf, skateboard, uh, climb trees. Um, WA is pretty special for that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it was just about being outdoors and, and adventuring, really. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't. I've never really been one to look so much uh, like male, female. Yeah. Uh, this like different hierarchies and stuff. That stuff's never made sense for me. Like when I was young, I had a clear, uh, well, frustration and anger, and I never understood how there'd be queens and politicians and all these people who were treated a special way. I remember asking my parents, why? Like, what's the queen done? Like, why is she so special? Gets to go cut little ribbons and do little ceremonies and wave to thousands of people, and, and when they explained to me, it just never made any sense. So, yeah, no, I don't really have much to say about the difference between being a male or a female. That's all I really know. <laughs> so, as, as we've said, um, you know, this connection with outdoors nature that really came from childhood is that something your dad role model or just the whole that was just what you did it's just sort of what we did yeah yeah i didn't i didn't think about it at the time it's one of those things as i said like when i sort of checked in Mm. and i started um like i had lots of questions about the way things were and the way things are with life based on on the work that i was doing at the time i had more questions than answers but as I started asking some of the questions that people might do when they're trying to um, figure out who they are and what their, their little thing is to do, you ask the questions of, well, what do I enjoy? Uh, if I wasn't working, what would I do with my time? Mm. If I had all the money in the world, uh, what would I do? What are the people <clears throat> that I look up to or who are the people I look up to and what are some of the, the things about them that I like? And all of these things were always um, leading me back towards mm. nature and and for some strange reason as well there's like certain parts um that i remembered from childhood doing certain things and i always knew that that was going to be part of of my life when i was older like for example sneaking through all these bushes and stuff at the neighbor's house like real sneaky sort of hide and seek games and stuff like that um i always thought like for some reason that tattooed in my mind then as oh yeah something later but i don't know how and why but looking back now with some of the stuff I do, coaching natural movement, also foraging and hunting and just spending time in the wilderness. And, and uh, you, you have to do a lot of that, uh, trying to be silent and paying attention to wind direction and then uh, moving through the environment silently. And also just some of the, the games and stuff that I play with the kids as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm. So talk to me about this point from going from autopilot to yeah so how that happened is um so yeah basically it was primary school playing with sticks climbing trees and then went from primary school into high school pretty much did the same thing but you can add in some skateboarding and some bodyboarding and then when i finished high school they said you have to become someone and they gave me a, a list of choices on on what i had to do and it was a bit of a shock and i chose health and fitness which was the least of the um the least uh, undesirable of all the options. So I got into that and I was doing really well. I basically, for the first time, was like, yeah, I'm enjoying this. I'm, I'm, happy, to, I'm mm. happy to do some of this. And I was like a yes sir, no sir. When I studied, they, they taught me and I said, okay. So calories in versus calories out. It's an important thing to remember for, for coaching people and, and the food pyramid, obviously. That's gotta be important to remember as well when uh, creating healthy diet plans for people and 
and these exercises are good mm. and these exercises are bad. So I pretty much had it dialed in. So then I got my job working as a personal trainer and, and coaching people and running him through all this stuff that I was taught and having great success and making lots of cash. And, um, but then I had clients who, uh, they were doing crazy things like eating one client specifically, she was consuming 400 calories a day and wearing a little gadgety thing on her wrist and burning roughly 4,000 calories a day and she wasn't losing any weight. Right. And, and I was saying, nah, she's lying and smuggling cupcakes. Um, yeah. Or um, the number one most important thing I was taught is flawed and I thought it could be the case. So well, that was calories out. Yeah, yeah. So that was one, and then there was the yeah, like eat this and drink that, and then I started sort of realizing that some of these things that I was told to eat and drink and, and tell others to didn't really make sense when I looked more at what a natural diet would be for humans, uh, and then same with the exercises. I was taught one exercise was good one year. It's good to do a lat pull down in front of the chest, and then the next year they said actually doing it behind your neck is better but then they changed it again back to oh it can be dodgy to do it behind the neck you probably shouldn't do that just do it in front yeah and all this time i'm thinking well my body hasn't changed yeah how can it be good then bad then good this who's making these yeah they 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 yeah yeah so so there was it was the calories in calories out it was the foods messed up and it was the exercises kept changing that made me say well where's this stuff coming from and Mm. and I started sort of thinking, what is the biological norm for humans and what makes a healthy human? And at at the very same time, actually, I I forgot about this, but at the very same time, I was still living at home and my dad was watching something on TV Mm -hmm. and it was about like ancient civilizations and how they had all this stuff figured out and they knew about um, the earth going around the sun and they knew about the distance between certain planets and and then they had this calendar which foretold the end of the world this Mayan yeah. civilization and I thought wow if they knew this and this and they're saying the end of the world's coming this is something to pay attention to so I started taking a bit of an interest in ancient civilizations at the same time as well as asking what makes a healthy human and, uh, and going down all these little wormholes it sort of led me mm. to find um, anthropology evolutionary biology and, and what I call the laws of nature or basically just simple observation as to what's actually true outside in objective reality compared to um, all the ideas and the answers you can find on the internet and that's what <clears throat> started um, yeah piecing together um, what I'm doing now and eventually led me to rewilding mm. um, which is kind of the one word that I'd use to sort of sum up the, the, the main thing that I'm interested in now I think that answered your question what was your question? <laughs> I have questions that it, was they the, opened it had something to do with uh, checking in checking in yeah yeah. so that was about the time that i checked in yeah it was when i was working as a trainer it was all coming unstuck uh and it just led me it made me start asking questions and that's when i started getting these answers um i was also asking questions about myself and who i am and that's when i was looking back at at all the things in my life Mm. that made sense up until now why i was the way it was why when i went to primary school and high school none of the stuff that they were teaching me made sense. Like, I just didn't get it. Like, why are they teaching me this? Yeah. And if I had have learned all of that stuff and taken it really seriously, I don't think it would have been so easy to, um, to formulate the opinions and, and learn, uh, understand the stuff that I, I understand now because it would have meant a lot of unlearning mm. to then sort of relearn. A lot more effort. Yeah, yeah. 
It's interesting that the concept of, you know, you're on autopilot and then all of a sudden things conspire <clears throat> to force you to ask questions, to take you on a journey that then expands your perception, your consciousness, your, your knowledge base, your views on the world. And then all of a sudden you take a moment to just have a quick look behind and go, shit, I was on autopilot and I was just sucking it up and taking mm. what people say. Mm. It's, um, yeah, that happens more and more as I do these podcasts. The more people, I think the tipping point is asking the questions and then realizing, shit, out, what's out there isn't necessarily true and I'm gonna have to build this for myself. Mm build my own body of knowledge mm. so rewilding what does that mean yeah well it's a good question still trying to figure that out <laughs> so rewilding is a term which um you you'll find uh people talking about rewilding from different perspectives so there's the rewilding of landscapes and um there's a lot of people who know there's a video sort of getting around which is uh where they reintroduced um, sort of apex predators back into Yellowstone National Park, I think it was, and how it completely changed the environment because the predators had been taken out. Um, it sort of altered the ecosystem in many ways, shapes and forms. Yeah. And once they put it back in, then it started to sort of renormalize things. Um, and another side note of that, which we won't get into is, and it's one of my opinions, one of the biggest problems that sort of happening on the planet is the fact that humans have been taken out of the environment mm. and we were pretty important slash well not important but we were like an apex predator in many ways shapes or forms where we would manage the environment um both plants and animals and use fire and all sorts of different methods and stuff but we've now been mm. taken out of it mm. we don't know how to do those things anymore and right. everything we get still comes from the environment but we've been removed from it mm. and we have to purchase it elsewhere and it's yeah. sort of out of sight, out, out of mind, so we don't care so much if if native forest or bushland gets leveled with all of the animals and stuff that's in there um, to build something or to grow a single row of a certain food. But so there's, there's the rewilding of landscapes, which is one thing that people talk about, but those people often aren't talking to the people who are um, looking at rewilding from the perspective of rewilding <coughs> humans. Yeah. And... Um, the rewilding of humans is sort of, um, as I said, the biological norm. Like most people wouldn't argue that there's a biological norm and a biologically appropriate <coughs> diet for, say, um, a fish or a whale or a mm. kangaroo. Um, but when it comes to, and there's a really heated top, topic, uh, diet, what's the biological norm for humans and what's mm. the natural human diet? Most people would have no idea. Mm. Um, that there is one or even get angry if you were to say that there is one. Um, and it's, it's a fun little thought experiment. Like, for mm. example, what would you say the natural human diet is? Well, even just sitting and considering it, um, <coughs> I wouldn't actually properly know. Yeah. Um, I, you brought up again for me, um, you know, I've, I've I think this first came up when I sat with um, Dr. Richard Wally, one of the Aboriginal elders. And then I sat with a guy called Leon Ruri, and he uh, does the Hacker for Life 
and I went and, and did, went to one of his training days. So I was exposed to this Aboriginal culture. I was exposed to this Maori culture, even though it's in Western Australia. And I was just like, and I spent time in the nineties in South America as well. And you just felt like, wow, you were part of something that was thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. Now, you know, I'm English by birth. And so I do feel like I'm connected to something that's quite old but nowhere near as old as that. Mm. Nowhere near as connected to rhythms and what I would say actually going on. And so for a while, it's left me feeling disconnected. Like an orphan. Yes. Yes. Mm. So the question to the, to the diet piece yeah. is the answer no idea yeah it's it's a funny one isn't it it's, it's it's a bit of a predicament and we won't we won't delve into that now but another side note for that this is a, a little question that i also like to ask when i have groups of people especially if it's say at like an edible weeds workshop which i often run mm. um that people have come to learn about how to sort of forage and gather and identify different um weeds from the environment and consume them so those people are normally interested in health and, and food and stuff like that so i'll often i'll ask the question like what is what is a natural human diet? And then I'll also say like, um, like how many foods are on this planet are designed for humans? Mm. And we can have a group of 20 to 30 health conscious individuals, well thought out. And most of the time they won't come up with an answer and occasionally someone will. But you got any guesses as to what an answer to that would be? No idea. Yeah, exactly. So it's normally what happens, it's normally crickets. We get all sorts of different things. Kids will normally say pizza and hamburgers and everyone has a giggle. But there's, no, there's only one food which is actually designed for humans and that's breast milk. Right. But everything else on the planet is just plant, animal, mushroom or bacteria. And some of them are edible. Uh, some of them, if you eat them, they'll kill you. Other ones will, or like entheogens, they'll give you all sorts of visions and stuff like that. They're more mm. medicinal. Yeah. Um, so you can almost eat anything, but we've sort of learned which ones over time um, you can consume and uh, you can get enough good stuff out of them um, without them um, taking you out and um, and they've they're what's become foods but these days we don't really eat normal foods anymore these days everything's been changed and altered through um, um, selection Mm. so pretty much every single food you'll ever get at the, the supermarket is an artifact meaning it's been changed and designed um, by us cleverly mm. so it doesn't really resemble its wild progenitor. So that's a, that's a little bit of a tangent, but getting back to your, your first question, um, which is what is rewilding. So there's the rewilding of landscapes, then there's sort of the rewilding of humans, but ultimately you sort of want to blend them together. And yes. how you mentioned about um, culture as well, um, sort of your culture, where you come from, compared to like a culture which is still deeply connected to place, like most stuff's not really place-based anymore. Like as mm. for me, like this is my place, but it's not really my place if I follow my people back wherever they go. So it can get pretty confusing. So um, rewilding, it's different depending on, on who you're talking to. Um, some people will come more from a um, just like what is the biological norm for humans? What do we eat? What's the type of light we're supposed to be exposed to? The natural light, dark, light, dark cycles and so on. What type of movements are we supposed to do? Um, uh, what sort of skills and stuff would we practice? Uh, and it's, it's practicing some of those things. So it's kind of a mixture of, 
of health and primitive skills and, and natural movement mm. and putting all those things together. And then other people come at it from kind of like a primitive anarchist, um, anarchist sort of perspective where it's kind of like um, the only good thing is to dismantle civilization and get back to kind of more of a sticks and stones based um, lifestyle. So it's a really big scale of... Um, um, of a term rewilding and, mm. and where you fit in. I mean, I'm right now we're in a house, um, where I'm currently living. So I don't live in a cave or in a thatched shelter or anything like that. Um, and like, I know the direction where I want to be going, uh, with rewilding, but, uh, it's going to be a very slow and long process. And I just hope that at the end of my time, uh, looking back, I've sort of moved closer and closer towards that, uh, each day. Um, instead of just, uh, you know, practicing a bit of both, which is living in a house, but also learning how to uh, make primitive shelters and stuff like that and, and stay out in them for extended periods of time with with group of people who are interested in doing that sort of stuff as well. So get a bit of a mix going. When, at what point in the journey of asking questions did you suddenly get to, yeah, shit. This rewilding thing is 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 me. This is where I want to go. <clears throat> yeah. So it wasn't instant. Um, mm. It was it was slow. It's like you get one piece, and then you get another. For me, for ages, it was like putting a big jigsaw together, and you don't know what the big picture is going to be until you get some of the last pieces. Um, mm. So, for example, from a movement perspective, like I was coaching, I was coaching personal training, and I discovered natural movement. Yeah. This guy called Erwan Lacour, and um, he's the founder of a company called MoveNat, spelled M-O-V-N-A-T, and that's the practice of uh, natural movement. So natural movement being um, walk, run, jump, climb, crawl, lift, carry, throw, balance, and um, it sort of looks at the natural development cycle for humans, starting from a baby and moving all the way up, and it, it follows that through. And um, so I thought, well, obviously that's a more natural way to move than doing push-ups and sit-ups. And he's got a lot of great sort of sayings and quotes. Like I remember one hearing him say a long time ago, saying he would never walk into like a tribe of uncontacted um, hunter-gatherers and see them doing like push-ups and sit-ups and stuff, like to stay fit. They're fit just through living. Yes. Um, and through meeting their, their needs, they're fit and strong and capable and they know thyself what they can and can't do. And another analogy he likes to give is sort of um, like a tiger is strong and fast and, and stealthy, but it doesn't go to the gym and do bench press to build strength and run on a treadmill to get fast. And it doesn't train with other, well, it kind of does train in a way um, with other lions, um, like roughhousing and stuff like that and play fighting. Um, so it can learn to hunt. Um, but yeah, so the, the natural, the natural um, thing for humans is obviously going to be that. So it's sort of like, yeah, this is a piece. So I went and studied and got my level one, level two MoveNet certification so I could start coaching that instead. At the same time, with diet, going from protein shakes and chicken breasts, which is, you know, build big, strong muscles sort of yeah, idea. Yeah. It was a matter of, okay, all right. So maybe I need to eat more plants and stuff like that. And... Um, and oh yeah, maybe instead of just eating um, any old meat, like meats on a scale as well. So yeah. chicken's not even a natural animal, 
the chicken comes from the jungle fowl, but you can't really buy jungle fowl at the supermarket anymore. But if I eat a chicken which has been raised in a factory and mm. fed weird stuff and hormones, maybe it's not going to be anywhere near as good for me as if I was to get one which is sort of free-ranged and more of a natural diet. Mm. So it's sort of that grass-fed this and free-range that. And you move down that direction and then... More conscious decisions. Yeah, and same with plants. It's kind of like, uh, well, there's lettuce, but I've never really been on a bushwalk and seen lettuce in the bush. Uh, so where's lettuce come from? And you sort of follow back where lettuce comes from. Mm. And there's kind of like a wild lettuce, which is growing everywhere. Be, you would have driven past it on the way here. If, the, if it hasn't already been sprayed with glyphosate. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that stuff's still out there to be eaten now. So you start moving back in the direction of, of um, eating a more natural diet. So uh, seasonal, light, dark cycles. And I always say when I'm, when I'm teaching kind of anything or, or, or talking about anything, I should say, that everything's on a spectrum somewhere. And you can put food on a spectrum from like one end of the spectrum basically being like... GMO, laboratory created, chemical laden, weird packaged stuff that can live on a shelf for years yeah. uh, and it has no season and it has no place. It comes from everywhere and nowhere mm. um, compared to wild food being pretty much right at the top. Yeah. Um, it's going to be the m- more nutritious. So if you get like a, a cultivated blueberry and put it up against the wild blueberry, the wild blueberry is going to trump it in uh, its nutritional value. Mm. Um, Probably taste as well probably tastier yeah well maybe not so a lot of wild foods are horrible um really oh yeah well so the reason why we've cultivated a lot of foods is to make them taste nicer sweeter more sugary Mm. more watery but at the same time that creates a host of problems because let's just go for example the blueberry again so the cultivated blueberry is way bigger than the uh the wild blueberry same with like a strawberry the the wild strawberry is tiny compared to a bigger one so as the fruit gets bigger it's getting more water and more sugar in it but as it's getting bigger, it's getting uh, less skin on the outside because you're eating more inside and less outside. And the outside often has most of the good stuff in it. Mm. So you're eating less of the outside part, which has got the pigments, which has got, I think, the antioxidants and a lot of the good stuff in it. And then the sugary, watery part on the inside, there's this whole uh, predicament going on right now, which it's, it's starting to come out. I'm only uh, reasonably new uh, learning about it. It's called deuterium, which is an isotope of hydrogen. Mm. and basically deuterium breaks mitochondria in the body and, right. and a lot of the things that are bad for us, it comes back to deuterium. And if mm. you, you lower the deuterium levels and you can deplete the deuterium in your body, a lot of the problems that people have can start to go away. So one problem with some of these modern cu- cultivated foods is they're higher in water, they're higher in um, sugar, and therefore they're higher in deuterium, um, which can, again, break mitochondria, which can affect... Um, your metabolic energy and how much energy your body's got to carry out all its little processes and stuff to to stay Mm. healthy um, among missing out many other things which helps mitochondria like uh, sunshine and stuff like that so um, yeah so I started back to what we were talking about off that tangent I started looking at uh, movement started looking at the stuff we eat and and I basically with this recreating myself I was asking the questions like how do I want to spend my days and um, like what's natural for humans. Uh, and I wanted to be outside. I didn't want to have mm. to drive to the same place every single day like I used to do working at the gym. Yep. And starting with the first client at six o'clock in the summer, beautiful, sun's up in the winter, mm. dark, horrible. Shit, so I wanted it to match the light, dark cycles and all these things. And it was just one piece, 
at a time to slowly create this picture um, and and that's sort of what what's led me to what I've got going on now with wild movement um, so I, I sort of designed it slowly like one piece at a time and and at the back at that same time I was following a guy named Daniel Vitalis and he's one of the people who's really popularized um, rewilding he's not the person who uh, sort of started it all but he's one who really popularized it and um, what there's a book which actually started um, well it's been sort of put to to starting the rewilding movement it's called Ishmael um, fantastic book I recommend you have a read um, it's a story about uh, a man and a, a telepathic conversation he has with a gorilla um, mm. and the gorilla teaches him all this different stuff um, by a guy called Daniel Quinn great book but um, yeah, anyway, I discovered this guy, Daniel Vitalis, and I was following him before he started really communicating rewilding. He was um, sort of coming off the back end of being vegan, and he's into all the different superfoods and potions and lotions and stuff. And then he started talking about this idea of the, the wolf and the dog, and basically the dog being the, mm. the domesticated wolf, and then saying humans, uh, like the domesticated indigenous person, and um, and I sort of think, oh yeah, okay. And then he said, well, what happens if you wanted to make a chihuahua back into a wolf? What would you need to do the chihuahua? You'd need to get it moving like a wolf, interacting with wolf-like yeah. um, dogs, and and um, and eating certain foods and, and exposing it to That's the proper light. That's so right there. Yeah, like a dog is a domesticated wolf, but how would you take one back? You can't really. That's the whole eugenic sort of thing, which doesn't work so good. But but, but you could become the whole idea is you could become feral. You could have a feral dog, and there's feral dogs everywhere. I've seen one in Yellagonga not too long ago. Um, yeah, there's so there's feral dogs out there doing their thing. It's just like cats as well. Hmm. Cats are feral as munching millions of birds every year. So it's he started talking about that, and he, he basically brought out a magazine which is um, had a podcast, uh, and I sort of went along with him on his journey, and just like you've mentioned. Um, how this podcast has changed you it's the same with him he over the course of maybe two or three years he started off as this sort of cocky young punk um, asking questions and and all about health and then uh, after interviewing person after person he really grew and matured with it and he interviewed um, especially people like Stephen Jenkinson yeah who we've just been talking about before the we started um, which sort of really broke him down and make him look at things from a different perspective as well. And mm. He actually ended up dissolving his podcast and, and finishing up and been in re reinventing himself for a few years. Um, and he's about to relaunch doing stuff. So I sort of followed him on that journey and he was the first person who, who said rewilding that I heard and that's what kind of put all the pieces together for me and I saw the whole picture and... Um, yeah, just been going from there, and that's that's sort of what I'm doing with my days now with wild movement. Given the journey, mm -hmm. and we'll talk about wild movement more in a minute. Mm -hmm. Given the journey that you've been on, and you are in, and the fact that you have made step by step by step by step by step to get where you are, how? difficult is it at times for you to swim in an environment where you're a minority oh. and how do you view the disconnect 
so two parts we'll start with the first part hey? so how do I do how do I cope being sort of mm. a minority yeah. in a big suit I mean when you first started making these steps how did the people around you respond oh yeah well, it's, it's different depending on, on which part you're talking about so for yeah. example my clients at the gym um, I started talking about different superfoods and stuff and started getting to move differently and some of them really embraced it. Most of them were like, nah, can't we just, you know, do the old bench press and, you know, chin-ups and stuff like that. I just, I just want the proteins and, and stuff like that. And um, so they fought against it. But it got to a point where I said, I can't do it anymore. I can't do what I know is not good for them. So I had yeah. to quit. Yeah. And when I quit, I worked at a tree farm for a couple of years. And that's where I got to really uh, reinvent myself. I was just outdoors and hmm. having a good time there. Um, but how I sort of cope um, being the minority, it's, it's sort of that thing like where, where you know who you are and you know what's important to you and you've sort of figured out that thing which lights you up and, and, and what you believe is right. Uh, I'm just going to do that um, no matter what anyone else has to say or think. Because um, if I believe sort of that's what's right, I can live in my little bubble and, and keep doing that. Um, and more often than not, people, um, I don't know if inspired's the right word, but jealous um, could mm. be part of it as well. Um, people will be like, man, that's so cool what you're doing. Wow, that's, that, that's great. And so many conversations I have with people, Just they don't like what they do. They're miserable people. And it's, it's part of the whole rewilding thing as well, which is like, like you look at the stats these days of anxiety, depression, yep. and all these different things. It's through the roof. And it's because like we've got all these weird identity politics. Everyone's separating themselves from one another. I'm this, I'm that, and all these labels they slap on themselves. But at the end of the day, we're all human. Hmm. Like everyone's homo sapien, whether they like to agree or not. I think... Um, if they die and their bones are found, they'll be classified as homo sapien, whether they, they say that or not. But hmm. we, um, so all these people that have, have this sort of thing going on, it's, it's a lack of connection to others and a lack of purpose and meaning. So with rewilding, with wild movement, it's kind of about connecting back with what it means to be human, like yeah. understanding that again. So when we all come together, we all have, we all have to eat. Everybody, I, I, I say everybody's eating today, unless you're fasting, you'll eat at some point. Everybody's probably had a drink today, because you need water. Everybody probably woke up in a shelter of some sort and has stayed warm if it's, if it's cool. So that whole food, water, fire, shelter, some of the basic human necessities that we yeah. need, that's something we all have in common. So if we can all sit around with no shoes on, outside, mm. um, whatever time of year it is, summer, autumn, winter, spring, mm. um, and we can learn to start fire with sticks and we can learn how to process and cook up some wild food which has been harvested and brought out. We learn how to make a shelter, weave a basket. They're human things which have been done forever. Predate Homo sapien. Goes back to some of the, the older forms. And um, that, that's bonding and that's connecting. So, so people, it's kind of like um, if, you, if you sort of decide who you are and mm. you've got a specific thing and you're like I'm sure of myself and I'm doing this but it doesn't fit in with uh, I don't know what I see as rewilding and, and the laws of nature then it can you can almost be wrong and people could say oh man he, he thinks it's right to chop down a forest to build a, a house yeah. or 
oh, he thinks, you know, this phone's good to have and get the latest version because that's what he believes in. But it, it, it's not so good to believe in something which is flat out destructive and, and destroying and polluting everything around you. Like the way that I see that is kind of like when you're just living and consuming and um, I like to think that if you could see every single choice that you make and how it was affecting the world around you, it would change things. It. As in, like for example, if there was like a meter of like air quality, water quality and all these different things, and you go to the shops and you just buy some crap and you would see like the pollution levels go up here mm. and the rainforest go down or whatever it might be. Each time that you, you make your choice, you might think differently about what you're doing. But as I said earlier, humans have been removed from the environment. We're not really allowed to interact with it anymore or it's largely uh, mm. monitored what you can do. Um, so because we don't interact with it, we don't see what's happening to it. We don't have a relationship with it. We don't care if something's happening to it. And we're not even really there to see if something is happening to it. But because the type of lifestyle I'm into, when I move around, all I really look at is, is the plants and animals and that sort of stuff. I don't pay attention so much to, to buildings and structures and, and things like that. So if and when an area gets sprayed with glyphosate or gets leveled for development and stuff like that, the amount of foraging spots uh, that would have been leveled recently is massive and my son he's only four hunter and he gets so angry because like we'll be driving and like say for example um there's like a a mulberry patch or or a blackberry nightshade or whatever it might be some it could be some small little plant that we gather yearly as part of like a seasonal thing and then it just gets leveled and and some houses and stuff built there or a footpath or whatever it might be. Yeah. It's it's horrible to see, man. So um, I don't know what got us onto that tangent. But oh yeah, so human things, like doing those human things. Um, that That's what I'll do, whether people like it or not. I, I believe that's what's right. Um, and um, yeah, I, I honestly don't find it that difficult. Right. Um, um, yeah, I don't get met with too much resistance. Hmm. Uh, when hmm. I do get met with resistance, I often like to have conversations and, and get hmm. the people to think about things. Is it... So, around about this time last year, I decided to park up drinking for about six months just to knock out some patterns and things like that. And I would turn up at... I would turn up at, you know, like do's, oh, barbecue, yeah, stuff say, like that. Yeah. And you get the whole, oh, you're not drinking. Do you want a beer? No. Oh, is it because you're driving? No. And is it? And then the other free pass I used to get was, oh, is it because you're training for an event or something like when I'm mm. swimming through Rockness? And then it'd be like, no, no, no. And so it'd be like, something get this straight. You just choose not to drink. Yeah, no, I'm not. Right, Bryn? Yeah. But then it'd get really like confronting for the person who was asking the questions because ultimately, like it or not, I was a mirror at that point of deep down like we enjoy most of us enjoy a beer or a glass of wine or whatever it is but deep down we all know it's not really that good for us we can dress it up with you know Heart Foundation says like a glass of red a day would be awesome and you know Mediterraneans and da 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 you can dress it up like it's not but deep down we all know it's not really that cool and and so then you get like this awkward bit where yeah sometimes it got a bit sort of 
aggressive or well not so aggressive but you'd have the piss taken out of you or something like that mm. just to try and make, level me down mm. feel it got nothing to do with me do you encounter some of that because <laughs> I, I know what you mean now yes, we all so. know deep down right that things are a bit fucked oh man everyone knows that. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 that's well agreed upon the whole sixth extinction sort of thing which is unfolding slash we're in right now. But yeah, no, I, I had my fair share of that sort of stuff. But um, like back in the days um, before I sort of checked in, I was never really into drinking. Um, mm. All my mates drunk, but I didn't drink. So I got all the slack and stuff back then. Yeah. Um, so I've had, a, I've had enough of that in my time. But at the same time, I've, I've come to terms and I'm at peace with a lot of stuff as well. I don't have too many charges with things. So for example... Like, like just because I know, or I, let's not say no, just because I have the opinion that hunting and gathering my food is going to be what's best for me, mm. it's pretty much against the law to be a hunter-gatherer in Perth, Western Australia, unless you're going to specifically eat certain fish at certain time of year. And, and like, the laws and stuff are crazy here, just yeah. ridiculous um, about what you're allowed to do. You're not even allowed to pick anything, so it's madness. So I can't really be a full-time hunter-gatherer, and there's a lot of work, and I wouldn't really want to anyway yeah. um, right now where I am with my sort of stage of life with family and stuff. But it doesn't mean if I go around to someone's house for dinner and they're serving up whatever it might be, I'm not going to eat it. I'm going to say, well, sorry, I only eat kangaroo with salt bush and, yeah. and, and so on. Um, so... I sort of still take part in, in all the other things that are going on around me. It's, it's kind of like, again, this is sort of looking at rewilding and, and you've got the different ways of looking at it. You've got the, the say primitive anarchy kind of perspective where it's like, nah, this only, but at the same time, there's the perspective of like right now, uh, I don't have the skill dialed in enough to make my own clothing out of animal skins where it's really nice and comfortable and I wouldn't be seen as a complete freak. Yeah. Right? So I can tan some skins now. Not great. I'm still learning. I've done a few and I've made a few little bags and stuff. Oh, I've got my feet on roo skin right now. Um, but um, so, but I, I'm not able to make fantastic clothing and stuff yet. i got a friend who's pretty crafty. But... And, and do I even want to get around in animal skins all day? Like, so I'm happy wearing clothes and stuff that I've got from the shops while at the same time learning to get really good at that. Yes. Yeah. So in the future, if I wanted to, I wouldn't it's be going down the shops maybe in, uh, right. in skins, but I could potentially, because in the future, um, when I get um, a good patch of land, which is where Wild Movement's going, I'll be doing um, camp slash retreats, probably a week long, maybe even 10 days which will be focusing largely on all things rewilding, primitive skills and bushcraft and stuff. So maybe that would be an option where I would wear skins the whole time there. Yeah. Because um, it could be a great little experience. So yeah, I have been met with a bit of that stuff. No, no one really trying to hold me back too much. Mm. Uh, uh, I've been through numerous friend groups um, and sort of my main friend group these days are people who... Because what Wild Movement's about, which we haven't even really spoken about, 
yet is um, creating a culture of people who in Perth who are into rewilding. And mm. the reason why, when I was on this rewilding journey and I'm learning about all this stuff, this is great. Yeah. I was obsessed, I was loving it, and I was getting stuck in and I was doing stuff and trying to teach myself to start fire by friction. I couldn't really find anyone in Perth to teach me these things. So I gotta teach myself teach myself to forage for edible weeds. Yes. And there's no one I could really give my money away to teach me. And I'm out there gathering cattail shoots at that time of year and I'm weaving a basket and I'm having the best time. This is so good, but I'm by myself. Yeah. Every time. I'd be out in the wilderness by myself. Oh man, it'd be nice to do this with some people. Yeah. So. And there's always that flick from growth to contribution. Yeah. So I got to that point where it's like, all right, well maybe, maybe it'd be nicer if there's a culture in Perth. Well, we're just going to sit and wait for it to come. Or should I maybe try and do something about it? I, I, I can coach up. Natural Moo. I've been doing that for ages. I know a few little tricks here and there. So that's when I started Wild Movement and started filtering in some of the things like basket weaving and mm. fire by friction and some edible weeds, some of the things I'd already dialed in. And um, it turns out people are really into that sort of stuff. So that's what I've been doing now to try so and really create that culture in Perth doing it. So that is the focus of Wild Movement, though, Yeah. To ultimately to create, connect the community of people who are into rewilding whether it be they've got slight more focus on 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 wearing wearing clothes that they've made or this. not a big focus of mine but yeah. no no but i'm saying <laughs> not your focus but there's a there's like a a, a community of people mm. that where somebody that might be their focus mm. And yeah, for somebody else, it might be yeah, exactly something, that's it. but under the banner of rewind. So that's the idea, yeah. I mean, yes, it's a business. Yes, uh, that's how I make all of my money right now through Wild Movement. Yeah. I have done for years. But the focus of Wild Movement is not to be a business that makes money. That's yeah. not what it's about. It's about creating that culture of rewilders in mm. Perth. Because as you mentioned, not me it's a prickly situation to be alive on planet earth right now looking around as to what's happening with oh i'm not gonna start naming crazy things that's going on. there's a lot of crazy stuff which is yeah. going on and rolling out left right center yeah. visible invisible yeah exactly you nailed it there so there's a lot of that stuff going on and i've got two young children mm. and especially when hunter was born or, or as soon as my wife fell pregnant there was this massive feeling of man if shit starts to fall apart, this kid's dependent on me. Do I have what it takes for the food, water, for all the basics yeah. sort of stuff? Could I look after myself and my family? And I had this massive urge, especially the, the fact that um, uh, Hunter's a boy, this huge um, feeling of I really need to teach him all of these different things, all these skills, make sure he's really capable. Yeah. Um, I didn't really get to do an awful lot of stuff when I was a kid around um, those kinds of things like using tools and, and fire and stuff like that. I didn't do mm. so much of that. Um, and it's kind of like, like what I talk to parents and stuff about these days is your kids are going to play with fire at some point in their life. Like I did. I, I got a cigarette lighter, which I found. It might have been my grandpa's who was staying yep. with us at the time. And I took it off across the road behind a bush, started melting some plastic. The plastic dripped on me. And I've still got a massive scar on my finger <laughs> yeah. today from where this melted plastic landed on my finger because I'm playing with fire. Um, knives and stuff. The second you get a chance, you're going to get a knife and see what yeah. you can do with it. Carve some stuff, yeah? Like, so um, I never really got to do those sorts of things. So it's good to have, um, have that sort of filtered in from a young age. 
so I had this massive feeling of, of needing to do that stuff mm. uh, for myself and for my kids as well and if things do fall apart in the future it'll be nice to know that I've got a bunch of people around me which I already sort of do through doing this work I've got a great little group of mates now um, who are into rewilding and um, if things were to fall apart I reckon we'd probably be okay for a little bit I don't want to say that we'd live for hundreds of thousands of years who knows what's going to happen mm. but um, there's no point being alone in the woods mm. not much of a life so what does re- you said it, it um, wild movement is not necessarily about a business but it is also what are the things that you offer what yeah so yeah. what I do f- with the business yes yeah so it's kind of like I've got that front in a way. Mm. The front is the business. And then, but what I'm actually trying to do is slowly meet all these different characters, all these different people who are really serious about getting into this lifestyle mm. and everyone becoming friends and doing this stuff together. So Which, what are the things that you offer? Through? Yeah, the things that I do. So with Wild Movement, um, I'll give a quick little history. So it's been going about three years now. When it started, uh, I built, oh, okay, where we are is Wild Movement's in Nangara and um it's on it's sort of connected to a little organic market garden um called woodstone farm where there's a lot of stuff happening out there now um it's kind of like almost a shared space there's like um other educational things going out there a lot of homeschooling stuff for kids as well um and i've got like a small strip there it's uh that it's my friend's property and it's about 30 40 meters long we've got a couple of thatched primitive shelters at each end and then just a massive jungle gym underneath humongous trees with all beams and logs and ropes and all that sort of stuff and the place was actually built and designed for the practice of natural movement back in the day so you can do all the walking climbing jumping running Mm. lifting balancing vaulting all that sort of stuff so that's what i created it for and i started primarily coaching natural movement because that's where I thought yeah. the money would be coming in from. And it, but I suppose there's a progression now to the PT that you were doing as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's what I'd study and that's, I was loving yeah. it. That's what I wanted to teach and, and I really enjoy it and I still do. But at the same time in that first year, I was offering, offering basket weaving and, and cordage making and edible weed shops, uh, workshops and so on. And when I looked back at the numbers after about nine months, I realized most of the money was coming from that and not from the natural movement. Right. Um, and because when I walked away from the health and fitness industry, because after I, I was at the tree farm and I decided I'm going to go back and I'm just going to coach natural movement and, mm. and you know, do that from the health and fitness industry because I didn't have a space to do it. So I thought I'll just do it from someone else's space. Um, but it wasn't, it was terrible. I was hating it, it wasn't working, um, working for someone else. And that's when I said, nah, I'm nah. going full-time wild movement and I got access to this place and built it. And um, so I wasn't making really any money. I just said, this is what I'm doing. I don't care if we're eating rice and struggling to pay rent. Uh, this is what I'm doing um, from now on um, for wild movement. Like that's it, that's, for, that's it, me sorted. And so I needed money and it's like, making a tiny bit from this natural movement stuff making a lot more from the basket weaving and stuff i'll do more weaving workshops so it can pay the bills while we get it up and running and and just people have requested more of this and more of that and i do a lot of stuff with kids now because Mm. there's a huge movement in perth and i guess around the world focusing on this whole idea of kids need nature yeah and i always like to correct the parents and say kids don't need nature everybody needs nature yeah um 
so we all we all need it just as much as one another but there is that big movement for the kids at the moment and we may as well get them stuck into it as well um so all these parents wanting to do kids stuff so all these people saying you need a nature school you need to start a nature school and this was a few years back and I was thinking, well, yeah, I want a nature school in Perth because that's where I'd like my kids to go to if they're going anywhere. Uh, mm. I want them to go to something more nature-based. I thought, oh, I'll wait till, you know, somebody else creates that. It seems like a big deal. I don't have to do that. Mm. And people just kept hassling me. So I thought, whatever, let's just try like a one-day-a-week sort of thing and see how it goes. And if it's no good, then we'll dissolve it. But it's been going two years now, the nature school program, and now we've booked up at pretty much 20 people a week, every week on a Friday. And then we've also got the wild child program on a Saturday, which is for the school kids. It's primarily the homeschoolers on a Friday. Um, and yeah, it's, it's doing really well. So, so basically, um, wild movement is about the rewilding, mm. but you can't, it's, it's not so easy to put up a workshop for, say oh making a coal burnt spoon and it's not some of it isn't easy as a business model but certain things are basket weaving works great people love that and i, I love teaching i love weaving baskets um and like fire by friction it's a great skill people want to learn edible weeds same but yeah. so i i not I, solid tangible stuff yeah yeah so people i, I do workshops like that um i have my nature school programs i do a lot of um private groups and bookings and mm. and um and homeschool groups and stuff i've had a few uh camp outs and a few men's groups and stuff booking in mm. um and yeah that's kind of what what we do now um but moving forward the goal for wild movement is to get a nice big patch of land somewhere um where we can do longer stays and retreats and and adventures out into the wilderness and learn mm. more about the landscape and the rewilding philosophy um, and practice some of the, the bushcraft and primitive skills and stuff at the same time. Mm. Yeah, it's sort of back in the day, like when it was starting, it, and I was learning all the stuff I was learning mm. about, oh, say, light water magnetism, which is what this guy, Dr. Jack Cruz, talks about um, as the sort of pillars for health and just living an outdoor connected lifestyle and, and eating that way as well. It's kind of like, how can I get people doing this? Because everybody understands that, like, like for example, a kangaroo doesn't really make many mistakes. It lives by the light-dark cycles. It eats what's in season when it's in season. It moves like a kangaroo. Yep. And nobody's teaching. It doesn't need to read any books. It just does it. Just does it. And we, that's how we need to be doing it. Hmm. But to learn ins and outs. To yeah, what do we just do? Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's, it's difficult to do. Because when the sun sets, it doesn't actually set. Uh, indoors the lights are still on and the water is not really water coming out of the tap it's got all sorts of weird stuff in it and the food's not really food anymore it's been altered as we mentioned Tinkered high detune levels yeah. and so on so it's not so easy to live that way anymore mm. um and it's really important to be outside and to get full spectrum sun and to get your feet touching the earth those things are massive but because it's so simple people will overlook it as like oh yeah whatever i'll just wear my shoes and i'll just keep my shirt on and I'll just wear my sunglasses and my hat and, and whatever it might be. But that's massive. So it's like, how can I get people to do this stuff but without having to uh, teach them all the geeky, physicky stuff behind it that someone like Dr. Jack Cruz talks about? Because mm. you don't need to understand it to do it and to get the benefits from it, mm. from you swimming in the ocean. Like, How good do you feel after an ocean swim? No. 
the best. Buzzed up. Yeah, exactly. But why? Why do you feel so good? Do you know what it's doing to your mitochondria swimming in that ocean? Probably not, mm. but it's damn good for you. Um, so how can I get people outside with no shoes on um, and, you know, really focused and being present on something? Well, maybe we should do the things that we do as humans, which is sit down and carve something uh, or sit down and weave something. So people constantly come along, often parents not expecting they'll be like you know what this is real I'm really enjoying this mm. having a good time they're, they're really enjoying and it's because it's sort of what we're wired to do to just be outside in the wilderness sitting under a tree or in the shade making something with your hands with a group of other people um, so it's sort of my sneaky way of trying to get people to be healthy we got a no shoes allowed rule about a wild movement um, mm. Mm. so it's almost like they come for basket weaving or they come for for, for something else and then they got a whole stack of other stuff with it. Yeah, and a lot of the time, yeah, I'll, I'll weave some of the philosophical stuff in and um, put some ideas in their head uh, and it really gets them thinking because that's sort of what rewilding does because a lot of people who come out obviously are alternatively minded and a lot of them are coming from a, a health space. Um, and there's a saying by Peter Michael Bauer, who's one of the rewilding people, he said, um, all paths followed long enough leads to rewilding meaning if you say what is the best and you, you go through the little transitions eventually it's going to kind of lead you back to rewilding because that's sort of the biological norm for us um, so mm. yeah man mm. um, it's interesting you say that because one of the things one of the questions I kind of got is um, it would be easy to link on the surface, rewilding to almost regressing backwards mm. to just going hang out in caves yeah, yeah, yeah. and dash roofs and, mm. and, and you know, yet we have progressed. You know, the, there are, you know, we have progressed. We're sitting in a house at the moment, you know, with, with windows and although you can hear the wind outside and the rain, um, it, it is outside. So we are sheltered from it. And, you know, we, and that's a progression? It's, it's a progression. We've moved, we, we've gone somewhere, we've gone and tried something out. And I don't know, sometimes I see it almost as, almost in my own life, but also collectively as in these big circles where you, you go out, you try something, you get to the apex, it feels really good and then bang, it comes back and you let go of it. But on the journey back, you're bringing back with you something that you've learned. Mm. And you know, we've been, it strikes me that, you know, we were very connected to land and then we had the advent of the industrial revolution. Um, and then, you know, then we've got into world wars and then we've gone into a real economy focused stuff and we're in this capitalism and we're also in an information age, you know, you see those progressions and, you know, I've read a lot about the impact that's had on men with men going away and, not necessarily role modeling boys and boys being, you know, sort of grow, grow up with female role models more. And I was fascinating when that little nugget dropped on me, but where does, where does acknowledging the things that we've learned from some of the journeys we've been on fit in with rewilding and, and going forwards? If, does that make sense? Mm. Kind of a long winded thing. Kind of. Because it's got to be a balance between how well, much we go. It doesn't have to be. 
It doesn't have to be because no. we live in that world of have tos. No, and, true. And uh, like, yeah, you, you say these spirals and stuff, but we don't have to keep going because we can't just continue keep going forever. Like, yeah. what's going to happen one day? The sun's going to explode the whole earth, and the yeah. earth's going to be gone. Where's the progression from that? <laughs> like, will humans make it? Probably not. Like, ninety-nine percent of all species that have ever existed are gone. Yeah, and it's going to happen to us at some point. It's mm. a matter of when. So we won't continue to progress forever. We might progress for until me and you become soil. Yeah, we might not see the end of it, but someone will see the end of it. Someone will be here for it uh, when it does happen, whether we're the same as we are now, whether we're completely different. But that whole thing of wolves mm. and dogs, yeah. Like if you look at what we are now, like me and you, we don't look anything like what an indigenous person looks like, yeah? yeah. We're completely different. And if you look at, say, like there's, you see them funny little pictures of like the evolution from ape to man and then sometimes you see a big fat dude or someone sitting at a computer or yes. whatever it might be yeah like people don't like the idea that we're not homo sapien anymore yeah like that we're some we could be something different now because if you if you take like a typical modern person who's just a sloppy mess doesn't know how to use their body doesn't know how to tell the difference between food and poison on the landscape can't do anything really for themselves and meeting their own needs and requirements and you put them up against an indigenous person and you and you like they're, they're not even the same they're so different yeah uh and it's, it's just embarrassing what we've become like we're we're a complete mess so i don't see it as any progression in any way shape or form um how do you mean embarrassing it's it's embar well, well it's a good question so what do i mean by embarrassing so uh all right well let's, let's say this right you can get all the way to the end right and you've got a house of like towards the end of your life right yes. you've got your house you get your cars and your boats and you got two kids and you know they've been to university and they've got good jobs and stuff like that and uh and you're sort of looking back and you've you've succeeded and um but you haven't actually really done anything for yourself uh in the objective reality of sunrises and sunsets yeah like the bird in the morning it's up chasing little insects and stuff around it's getting its food um but you successfully get your food by making the money doing the work or from these little numbers which you've played a certain amount of games with putting money here and putting money there and, mm. and you're getting money from this area, money from that area, paying off this and now you've, you've nailed it and you can, you can buy the food from the other side of the planet and get it shipped to your doorstep um, and then you can have your friends around and sit around and you know enjoy this caviar or whatever it might be from a fish which you've never even met you don't even know the the exact name of the species or the river that it swam in or if that river's still even there anymore if it even came like it's it's so out of context it's so disconnected and uh i don't know i see that as embarrassing i see it as a mess and it's yeah. a terrible mistake um hmm. like for me i, I don't know like I, I don't really see the point like look look at the environment we're sitting in right now it's a complete vacuum right it's a vacuum environment where there's there's no there's there's nothing it's just it's completely separate from the world out there the world out there is so different yeah compared to the world in indoors that we're in right now this weird artificial created thing but it's it's become so normal yeah um for us that we don't even notice it mm. we don't even notice the outside world we don't even notice seasons like if you this is a little thought experiment. If you go anywhere outdoors and you, and you open your eyes and you look and it's winter time 
and the way the landscape looks, the colour of, of the grasses that are growing and so on, and, and the, uh, maybe the light angle from the sun. Uh, and then you go back to that same time six months later. What did I say? Did I say winter? You go back and it's summer, and you go to the same place at the same time you open your eyes. You'd get a complete shock. The environment and the landscape would be so different. Yes. You could hardly even tell you're in the same place. But we don't even notice that. We don't even, like, who notices mm. the seasons? Are there even seasons anymore? Well, there certainly are. And uh, almost everything pays attention to it, except for humans these days. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't see the point in, uh, in living a disconnected lifestyle. But that's just me. Mm. <laughs> it's really interesting. Two big things jump out for me when you talk about that. One is attention and where we're choosing to place our attention it all i for a while have felt like almost like a grumpy old man because i look around and go you know you look around and people are just staring at you this. should be grumpy man yeah you should be staring at these like flat things which we are phones and uh, we call phones and you know it's like their attention's there 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 you know my big thing is um you know through doing the podcast is human connection and i'll just sit there and go fuck everyone could just be having a chat and that'd be mega and we could be sharing stuff we could be laughing joking crying feeling something happy sad all of that we could be really enjoying it but at the same time we could also be sitting quietly and just looking at the grass outside looking at the mm. weather feeling the weather mm. and and at times me myself i feel like a lot of where we've got to now is just a big fucking distraction mm from so much well everything whether it's nature whether it's actually from ourselves at times and the and the seasons and the cycles that go on within us and then the second point that jumps out is you know you talk about here being a vacuum in this house and where are we we're comfortable and when we're comfortable what are we not doing we're not growing and what does everything do in nature it grows it grows and contributes or it dies we're not really fucking doing that. Hmm. Yep. It's this human-centric existence, which is not so good. Hmm. Everything seems to be about me, about me continuing on personal development, uh, like health and fitness, and all that stuff. It's always about the self and, and getting better but we don't think about the other plants and animals and other than human persons, uh, all of our decisions. So that's what, that's what sort of brings up mm. massive, like what motivates me is a huge amount of anger and sorrow. Yeah. Uh, like when I look out at the world and that's sort of what drives me to do what I'm doing. So, so a lot of the stuff that I, I do that's going against the grain, it's going against civilization in many ways, shapes and forms, um, it's sort of like there's, there's lots of people who have done things in the past and they stood up for what they believed in, which we now look back at and say, oh yeah, that was good. That was yeah. good. So rewilding is like that, um, where it's sort of, it's sort of going against a lot of stuff and it might be bending and twisting some rules here and there. Uh, and culture might think it's a bad thing and not mm. like some of the stuff that's being done but I think a lot of it's good and necessary because uh, like a lot of people 
think that everything they're doing and the choices that they're making is you know good for the planet and they feel good about themselves now i recycle and you know i don't use plastic and uh you know uh, I, I eat vegetarian or vegan so no animals die and it's all just garbage man like you, you drive a car you're killing hundreds if not thousands of insects you walk mm. you're treading on ants like everything you do is going to have a negative well not a, it's not a negative um but it's everything true. you do is going to be impacting the world around you um so yeah it's, you, you you have to do something you have to make choices uh and um yeah it's a, it's a it's a tricky situation to be in and, and sort of you asked a question earlier which i almost i almost said like the only way that I sort of can get up and gone with my days is because I'm doing this rewilding thing. Mm. Because there was a time... Doing yeah, well, there was a time back in the day where I was like, I ain't bringing kids into this world seeing what's going on. This place is a disgusting mess. It's horrible. It's destructive. Yeah. And, um, and like, I, I, I know people. There are people around me who they focus on all the bad stuff. They focus on all the negative stuff and the scary oh, stuff. What's it in the paper now? You see couples particularly in the wake of, of, of Greta Thunberg, where they're like, oh, we're not going to have kids because it's, uh, it's just too stressful the idea of bringing kids into this world. Well, and, it is bloody and, stressful, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I'm not disrespectful. Um, but, you know, like, I, I don't know where the planet's going, so I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. I don't mm. know where that sits with me. It's almost like, hmm sort of backing off not going forwards mm. so yeah well like, the point I was getting at is like you've got to do something while you're here you're mm. here yeah um, so for me it, it's keep moving in that, that rewilding direction and getting closer and closer and closer towards it um, instead of just saying oh I'm just, who cares I'm just going to do nothing or it's all doom and gloom and just stress and panic about it all so yeah mm. it's, fa it's fascinating you mentioned the word you know there's a bit of sorrow and anger because there is there is a very clear there is a very clear drive in in you and Steve as I sit and listen and talk to you and, and one of the things I was curious to know is where does that just drive come from and you know if you to actually pin it to sorrow and anger you know it's it's just there yeah it's, it's sort of just there like that's what's natural yeah but like sometimes I'll just get these feelings and it's just yeah like this fear and aggression uh which will motivate me. Like mm. when I see certain things that are going on around, like whether it's, yeah, like a, a, a massive one is just whenever I'm driving around and just, we'll just knock down these million trees here and just build a piece of road there or a footpath here in an area that used to be bushland mm. where I knew plants and animals in there and had relationships with them and now they're gone. Yeah. And what's there now? A footpath. And uh, so they're, they're okay to just level areas of bushland but at the same well, you say there but it, it's in, in our world it seems to be okay to level areas of bushland which have been there for however long but at the same time to to have laws and rules that you're not allowed to go into this piece of land and interact with it and touch it and takes part, take parts of it mm. but then they're, they're destroying it so like one example I like to give is there's a place uh, not too far from here where there's a plant called cattail um, or bulrush which is just a huge field of it. This is this reed, right? And it's food, it's water, it's fire, it's, it's got you can eat it all the time throughout the year. It's great for weaving baskets. It's a wicked plant, it's so useful. And there's a footpath which has been cleared through it, and there's all houses and stuff around it. 
and the footpath's obviously been put there by someone hmm. but the thing about this plant is it grows so fast and it just continues sort of marching forwards forward. as long as it's got some some fuel yeah. behind it and every single year they're having to go and and cut it all back like i don't hmm. know what they used to to cut it all back probably whippersnippers or something like that and then they're having to spray all through it with glyphosate and stuff but it keeps coming over that footpath you can't yeah. stop it it comes back every single year and if you go and cut one down at the base in the morning like first thing in the morning and then you go back in the arvo it's growing like five centimeters sometimes ten yeah. like this thing's so fast growing um but it upsets me that like that path can be put there but then it, it'd be against the law to just take one of those reeds home and and either eat it or, or use it for weaving or whatever it might be but it's okay mm. for them to just go and like bulldoze a pathway um, that stuff that stuff doesn't sit right with me mm. um the fact that we don't have access to land anymore that that doesn't sit right with me mm. um like the other animals don't Very care about those rules them. and regulations do they like like you can say like a bird flying isn't gonna say oh i'm here now and I'm there now and oh, I should really sign here and need yeah, paperwork yeah, yeah. for this and that. I'm going over Perth Airport. I better just exactly. don't bother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Hmm. What, have, um, what have you learned about yourself in your journey? <sighs> I mean, it's almost uh, not specific enough. I mean, I've learned... That that question sort of depends on your definition of self, really. Um, Go on, so, self being like just me, just, or self yeah. being like other stuff that's around me, because there's a slippery slope um, of what is the difference between like one thing and another. Yes. and it's what I'll often talk to the kids about. Like, say, um, yesterday, for example, here's a story from yesterday. Yesterday, there was a group of kids out at Wild Movement. And um, while we were waiting for everyone to arrive, I started carving a spoon, but I didn't tell them what I was doing. Like I split this piece of wood down and I started slowly shaping it, carved out a little bowl. What's that in this? Oh, and they're guessing what they think it could be. And I'm like, oh, it's not that. And then I start shaping it more and more. Oh, they're guessing. And eventually one says, it's a spoon. I said, ah, a spoon. I said, but when did it stop being a piece of wood and start becoming a spoon? And they say, like right now I was like well because you said it because you sort of talked it into mm. existence I was like but wait a second this spoon it was a piece of wood and this wood would have come from a tree when did it stop being a tree and start becoming a piece of wood before it's come a and what's it going to be after it's a spoon what happens when I take it out and I drop it accidentally and ends up on the floor and starts turning into soil when does it become soil and then when that soil feeds a plant like when does it become and when if that plant's edible like when does it become food and mm. then if it's eaten and it goes mm. through and it comes out when does it become poop and it's, it's this weird question so it's the same with us um like the wind blows and you feel it yeah mm. and what is this sensation like what's the difference between you and the wind that you're feeling like where's the barrier we seem to have this idea of separate here um mm. but you can think the same thing as someone the same time I, I was just thinking that and it's like it's i don't know so so what i've learned about myself it's kind of uh okay so it's kind of tricky like yeah. I, I will answer, collection of i will answer the question by saying um what i have learned is for me what i want to do the rest of my time is 
try and fit as closely back into ecology as I can and have connected experiences like that. So a long time ago, not that long actually, a few years back when I started really getting into this rewilding stuff, I thought, man, like this was when I was working out at the tree farm and it was one morning the sun was coming up and I was looking at it through the trees and I was sort of moving and then a bird had landed and I was like sneaking, I was walking as quiet as I could over these leaves trying not to crinkle them, see how close I could get to this bird. Um, and then like I got really, really close and then eventually I spooked it and it flew away. And I thought, oh man, wouldn't it be good to, um, like I just said, it as a goal that I'd love to do sometime in the future, which would be to yeah, carve my own bow, make my own arrow and everything from the wilderness and be wearing nothing but stuff from the wilderness. So whether it's a skin or whatever it might be, and to literally just go out and to just do the whole stalk up on and and hunt and, and manage to get some food. I don't, I don't ever think of what it would or could be, or what animal I'd be, be looking for. Um, but I thought, man, like, that would be an experience because it gave me this insight, this feeling of, mm. of what it's like to live that connected lifestyle and to still take part in the natural life cycles that are still happening. Like right now, all the birds and stuff that you see flying around, they're still just doing their thing. All the mm. lizards and the flies are still just doing their thing. But us humans, we're sitting and talking in gadgets to release for other people to listen later. And Yeah, so for me, what I've, what I've learned is that's what I, I want to be doing with my time. And as much of that as I can fit in, um, the, the more I can fit in the better mm. and if I can help others do that and do that with others such as for a week long group of us be around in a place doing these things together mm. have a really nice experience and then back to civilization and all our systems of support to do all the things that we do so yeah mm. what um, what does the next three to five years look like oh funny you should ask that yeah uh, <laughs> um yeah, so how I've been mentioning land, that's the plan um, within the next three to five years. Have a good piece of land somewhere, hopefully not too far from Perth. Um, but the idea is to have yeah, a good piece of land where I can sort of do all the different things that I'd like to do. Hmm. So in regards to hunting, like um, in WA, you can only really hunt invasive animals on private property. So people are constantly asking me, oh yeah, like wanting to do that sort of stuff and I'm in no way shape or form a hunter like I'm a I wish I was I've done a tiny little minuscule bit of dabbling I've done a little bit of gathering I'm a real generalist I've done a lot hmm. um, of different things I'm expert at none and I, never, I don't think I ever will be um, but yeah like there's and I'd like to have water on the on the property and there's all these different um, boxes I'd like to tick so basically I'd like to have a good patch of land um, where I can be both living and working from and doing retreats and workshops and events and stuff from, as well as still have a place uh, in Perth where I, can, where I can do things as well. Um, further along on this, this same little journey that I'm on right now, so uh, just, yeah, more skills, more knowledge. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's in terms of, of wild movement. Um, but, yeah, like I'm sort of lucky that work and life are the, kind of the same thing for me. Mm these days but it'll just sort of yeah slowly unfold that that's the main thing for me like having a nice patch of land to, to do bigger things on without restrictions and limitations so hmm. Hmm. next question i i often ask my guests and i'm fascinated to hear about this for you uh, so i like to ask people like you know are there like daily routines and stuff that they do that keeps them grounded or is their thing go on 
I, yeah, I don't. To tell you the truth, like we're in yeah. a pretty intense stage of life. So we've got two young kids, mm. four-year-old and just over a year and a half-year-old. Mm. But and you then, talk about, you know, getting up, getting full spectrum light, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So there must be stuff you do. Yep, definitely. Um, so we've got that going on, the two kids. Um, my wife's doing her own business. I'm doing my own business. And at the same time, we're in a little mentoring uh, program, which you're in as well. Yeah. How we met. <laughs> and um, um, so life's pretty darn full. Yes. Um, with that at the moment. But that being said, as, as long as I can remember now, uh, every single morning I, I wake up and I start with my morning movement practice. So first thing I'll actually do is um, I basically do a social media post once a day. So I'll just do one post, which will be a photo um, of something which I've been up to at work um, or in my own little life, which is related to wild movement, obviously. Um, I do one post while I'm drinking my little coffee um, and then I'll do my, my morning movement practice, which um, is a mixture of also a little part that um, I don't often talk about. I had scoliosis, like pretty bad scoliosis and sort of lived in like a seven out of 10 pain every day, but didn't know it at the time. Right. It was just like achy and stiff and, and um, was so inflexible that I could literally only just touch my knees. Wow. Um, that's how my dad is now. Thanks, dad. But um, yeah, like when, and it was just no good. And I, and I saw people, um, I was like, oh, you know, like, wow, what's going on here with scoliosis and, and how do I fix it? And, and um, the expert told me, oh, you know, you have to wear this thing in your shoe for the rest of your life. Yeah, no more barefooting. You have to wear this shoe because one leg's, you know, longer than the other. Oh, man, nothing I can do about it bullshit didn't didn't like the sound of that so i said i'll just take it into my own hands i'd i'd done a few different little programs and sort out different mentors and their, their little <coughs> systems they had but it was no good so i just started doing my own movement practice so stretching here and twisting there and moving in this way mixing it with the natural movement sort of stuff as well and and that's what i've been doing now for many 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 years and i do it every single morning it's just a mixture of stuff indoors stuff outdoors um yeah you mentioned the light dark cycles which is really important to me so um, seeing the sunrise every morning um, all throughout the year. Uh, light for me is one of the most important factors of, of health. Hmm. Um, um, both exposure to natural light and reducing um, non-native or, or unnatural light, especially the blue light that comes from all our devices and stuff. So in the morning, it's always windows and doors and stuff out, uh, open out on the grass, like watching the sun come up and stuff like that, as well as doing my movement practice at the same time. Um, and I suppose you could put as part of the routine when the sun goes down, yeah, I do wear the blue light blocking glasses and we often have the red lights and stuff on. Uh, it's different depending on, on time of year and stuff like that. But the main thing is, is um, the main thing that I do is my movement practice. I, it, it's sort of, it's hard to really explain, but there's a lot of people who talk about the body having weird stuff in it and and you do body work and it can release different things mm. and stuff. But I was all, I was a twisted up mess with my scoliosis and so rigid and inflexible and stiff. But as I've slowly unraveled things and, and connected sort of getting the feet talking to the hands with certain movement patterns and linking everything together, it's kind of linked this whole little journey that I'm on as well. Um, so I, can't, I just constantly work on repatterning so my body works more like a natural human body should work yep. and move. Um, so that's sort of what I'm, what I'm doing there. Uh, and then I'm always, um, just working on learning new skills and stuff as well. Constantly, 
there's there's things that I I do that I wouldn't really think about because it's just what I do. Like for example, like I pay massive attention to what the environment's doing, both yeah. weather and seasons and stuff. So there's certain things that are in season right now, and right now my to do list is to weave a new little handbag satchel thing because it's the time of year that a certain plant's growing that um, it's best to harvest and weave into this handbag that I need to make my old ones busted up from last year. So just constantly doing things like that, like the environment, um, what's in season, I'll, I'll be out doing those things as well. Mm. Um, yeah, so yeah, nothing too fancy. <laughs> yeah. Last question I ask all my guests mm-hmm. is if you could take a little nugget of information or knowledge and, and load it up into the collective consciousness so everyone just gets it, what would that be? Oh man, uh, that's a tricky one. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably not going to come up with what I would say if I really spent time thinking about it, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I guess it's. It all just, for me, it sort of comes back to just living in line with the laws of nature. So if there was something that I could sort of implant into people or hardwire people for, which is we are the way we are now and everyone's different. There's people who are craving to move towards um, the more Western um, or, or modern lifestyle. There's people who are craving to move towards that and away from the way that they're living because they might be living in a really dodgy situation. I'm talking at this from where I am and where I see the world through. But there's also people like me who are like, oh man, I just want to move back towards the way things were. Yeah. So you've got that real mix. But I guess the one thing that I would implant is, is whatever people are choosing to do and however they're choosing to live, um, to use the laws of nature as a straight edge for how they should be living and how they should be making pretty much all of their decisions. And you, you constantly hear those things like, oh, you know, people would live thinking, how is this decision going to affect, say, seven generations from now or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, so kind of kind of something along those lines of um, the way people are doing things, does this fit in line with the laws of nature? Mm. Um, yeah, that kind of year. I don't know exactly what form it would take, but that's it. <clears throat> awesome. Steve, it's been... Absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. It's been good. If somebody, if a, if the listener there wants to reach out and find you, where can they find you? Yeah, cool. So, um, Wild Movement Perth is the name of my my business, um, and the reason is it's sort of a, a movement back to the wild in many ways, uh, and Perth because it's here. Uh, yeah. There's I didn't want to have a rewilding. I didn't want to be part of an online rewilding culture from people all over the world. It's got to be here for me. So if you're not in Perth, then you're sort of out of luck. Um, but if you're in Perth, we're in Nangara. The best way to, to find and contact me uh, or to see what we're up to, at least, if you're interested, if you look on Instagram, that sort of got all the little pictures. It gives you a real quick insight into exactly um, what we're doing, some of the things we're doing. Uh, the website is two or three years out of date. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to be redoing it uh, for next year. So don't go on the website until January. Um, <laughs> but go on either the Instagram or the Facebook. If you search Wild Movement or Wild Movement Perth, you should find it. So, mm. yeah. Thanks. So it's been an awesome talking to you today. It's been 
hugely confronting at times because of the just clarity that you present stuff and, and present yourself and where you're doing stuff. But it's just so very fucking necessary. Thanks, so. And I've learned a stack from it. <laughs> so thank I you very much. That. No worries. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>